So tonight, I want to start with this first question. Did Paul have a problem with sin that he could not overcome? Okay. This question comes from Romans chapter 7. It's probably the most misunderstood chapter in the whole Bible. In verses uh, 14 through 25, uh, Paul says he wa- the things he wanted to, do, wanted to do, he couldn't do. The things he didn't want to do, he kept doing. You remember that portion of Scripture? And it's very famous, and it's, but it's used the wrong way. It's totally used the wrong way. It's like, well, if Paul is going to do things he didn't want to do and not do things he's supposed to do, how can I be, expect anything else? And I'm telling you, that is a lie and a cop-out of the devil to keep us in bondage to sin. It, it is. So the question is, is Paul referring to, in Romans 7, is he referring to a time in his past, or is he, is he referring to a present-day struggle when he was writing this? That's really the question. Was it a present-day struggle, or was it a past struggle? So I'm going to show you this, what the Bible says. Romans 7:18. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Okay, so he's talking about the struggle that he's having. Verse 23. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Now, I believe, and Paul wrote verses 14 through 24, he was writing about a time in his past. A, a time, and I'm going to show you from Scripture, a time in his past, and it's like a movie flashback. He's talking about Romans 7. He's flashing back to a time in his past so you can get, a, you can get some understanding of where he is today. It's like, you know, you've seen in the movies, they show this flashback of a kid having this experience and that. And um, verse 9 reveals that flashback. It says, once I was alive apart from the law. Now, is once a present tense word or is it a past tense word? It's past tense, right? Once I was alive apart from law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. Okay? Now, many scholars agree that the phrase once I was alive apart from the law was referring to a time when Paul was a young boy uh, before the age of accountability for sin. Accountability for sin is a... Uh, it's not really in the, the, the teachings in the Bible with the terms not in the Bible, just like Sunday school is not in the Bible, but it's, our, our Trinity is not in the Bible. You can definitely see the teaching in there. The age of accountability is a time when a child or someone comes to age emotionally or spiritually where they're now accountable for their sin, meaning that if a child dies before a certain age and they haven't had a chance to understand the gospel or anything, they still get to go to heaven even though they didn't receive Christ the way you and I would. Okay, most I think almost all denominations believe that. David, when he was close to death, he said he was, it was now time for him to go and be with his infant son. Remember his infant son that died uh, at, during, uh, when, uh, at birth? And he said, now I'm going to go and go be with my infant son when he was about to die. So he, he believed that his infant son was with the Lord, and that's where he was going to go. So all of sin falls short of the glory of God, but children are not held accountable before God for their sin until a certain age of accountability. There's, there's not a definite number. I think for each one it's different because there's a mental age versus a physical age, and, but God knows what that is when they've, they've, they know, and they've, they've, they know what it is when they understand it. So most likely when Paul turned 13, he would have begun his training as a Pharisee, and it's believed that he was trained by one of the top and most famous Pharisees of his day, Gamil. And in uh, Galatians 1, 14, he says, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. So even though he was advancing more than anybody else that he knew in these traditions of his father in the law, he still didn't have the power to overcome sin. 
because what the law did was the law showed him that he had a sin nature. When he was a child, he was, he's, I'm sure he still sinned as a child, right? He, he would have probably lied. He would have disobeyed his parents. Maybe he took the cookie when his mother said, don't touch that cookie, Paul. And he, he took it and ate it anyway. Or who knows what he did. But he, there's, no one was without sin except for Jesus. So he had sin in his life, but sin wasn't, held, wasn't put into his account because he didn't know the law, right? He was before that. But when the law was introduced to him, the sin that was dormant in him sprang to life. The Bible, and then he realized he was spiritually dead. That's when he realized that the law, that's, that's the job of the law, is to show us our need for a Savior. So um, it says, you, the, command, the commandments came to Paul through his training. Spring, sin sprang to life and he died. Or the King James says, sin revived and he died. Now how can you revive something that wasn't already there? See, there was something there. He realized in, through the law that there was some other law at work in the members of his body. Remember, he said, that, there's something else going on inside of me. I don't know what that is. That was his sin nature. He was, he was born, we're all born with the sin nature, okay? So Paul, um, Paul would have experienced peace with God and not a lot of guilt, condemnation, shame as a child. Like when a child sins today, they're just really little, you're like, oh, that's cute. Isn't that cute? It's sweet. They do that at 30. You're like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with that kid? You know, <laughs> it's not the same, right? So, uh, Sin, again, was lying dormant in him. It sprang to life in him when he was introduced to the law. Okay, that's what this verse is talking about. It says, once I was alive, apart from law, but when the commandments came, when he was introduced to them, probably around 13 years old, he realized just how simple he was and that he needed a Savior. So before that, he thought, man, I'm great. I'm doing great. It's, that's how I felt until I got married. I'm great. I'm doing awesome, man. Everybody loves me. I must be doing good. And I get married, and Holly's got a whole bunch of work to do, <laughs> to fix me up, to make me into a better person. I didn't know how selfish I was or how self-centered I was and all those kind of things because I was mostly living by myself, and then you have to think for someone else, and there's changes, right? So the context for the things I do, I don't do, and things I don't want to do, I do, the context of that is when the law that was, when that he was, sin was dormant in him, but when the law came, he realized I keep trying to obey this law, and he was growing in more than all the other Pharisees around him. I keep trying to obey this law, but I can't do it. I keep trying to not do this, but I can't do it. He couldn't do it. No matter how many laws he memorized, he would have had the whole first five books of the Bible memorized. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, but he could not keep the law. Guys, if you meet someone that tells you they can keep the law, they're, they're absolutely deceived. If Paul couldn't keep it, and Peter said him and his family and his brothers, they couldn't keep it. We couldn't keep it either. The law was introduced so you would know that you have a sin nature and that you need a Savior, and it's Jesus. All right? So he realized he was sinful and spiritually dead. So verse 24 says, What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what is he saying here? Who's going to rescue me from this body of sin and death? Who's going to rescue me from sin? Who's going to rescue me from death? Who's going to rescue me from sin? Who's going to rescue me from doing, not doing the things I want to do and, and doing the things I don't want to do? Who's going to rescue me from that? Who's going to rescue me from guilt, condemnation, and shame? And then he starts off chapter 1 with, thanks be to God, through Je- or the end of chapter 7, sorry, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, he has rescued me. Okay? He is, so he's talking about the past, then he brings the present, he has rescued me. And in verse 1 of chapter 8, before I go there, I want to say this. So did Paul have a problem with sin that he could not overcome? Yes, he did. He did. 
And guess what all of you did too? Right? Uh, but it was a time in his past when he was introduced to the law. I guess the real question is, did he still have that problem after he was born again? That's the real question. All right, so that's where we're going to go to now. So chapter 7, uh, at the end of his chapter 7, he summarizes his thoughts. He says, in my mind, I was a slave to God's law, as he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. But because of my sinful nature, I was actually a slave to the law of sin. I don't have that verse on there. I don't know what verse you're showing him, but, oh, well, there it is. That was the one. But it wasn't in my notes. You must have just added it. Good job, guys. So he's saying, in my mind, I was a slave to God's law, but because of this sinful nature that he didn't know that he had, that God revealed to him, he was actually a slave to the law of sin, and he wasn't aware of it. But the law made him, made him understand that he was. Then he goes into chapter 8. He says, therefore, there is now, that's what? Present tense. Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So chapter 7, he was summarizing this problem of what he had going on. But then he realized he was introduced to Christ. He got free from the law of sin. He got free from sin, free from spiritual death, free from his sin nature, free from all these things. And he's praising God that the law, he's now free from the law of sin, death, and so are you. If you're in Christ, you've been set free from the law of sin and the law of spiritual death. When you sin today, you do not spiritually die like Adam and Eve did in the garden because you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Praise God. They sinned one time, they lost everything. We sin today, and I don't want you to practice sin or anything, but if you do sin, you ask God to forgive you, and you still have the father-son relationship. It's not ruined through one act of sin because, uh, because Jesus has paid the penalty for your behalf of all your sins, past, present, and future. It's already paid for. Now, if you hear that and you think, oh, good, well, I can just go do this. Paul says, God forbid. Uh, but if you have that heart, you don't really know God like you should. If you hear this story and you think, oh, man, I want to see how much I can sin, you probably don't have a really good heart-to-heart connection with God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because if you, if you do, you wouldn't think, how can I hurt God? It's how can I show him I love him? How can I honor him? How can I live for him? So in chapter 8, he says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. You are free from the law of sin and death. Amen. Paul wasn't in chapter 7. He was talking about the time before he was. Then he brought in chapter 8, but now I am, because he's in Christ. So um, his, he described this really hopeless situation in chapter 7. And the answer to that, ho- that hopeless situation is found in the Holy Spirit. It's Holy Spirit. You know, in the, in the uh, first seven chapters of Romans, Holy Spirit is only mentioned one time, and that's Romans 5.5, 5, which is the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. But in chapter uh, 8 alone, it is mentioned, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 19 times. He's trying to show you that you can't do it on your own. You can't do this on your own. But through the Holy Spirit's power indwelling you, now you can. What the law was powerless to do, Christ did. Amen? The law couldn't change your heart. The law couldn't change your nature. The law couldn't change the struggle of not doing this or doing this. The law couldn't do that, but Christ did when he came in, his, in the flesh for you and for me, amen? He did it. He did do it, amen? Amen. All right. So that leads me to my next question. Are we still sinners after we're born again? I hear this one a lot, too. You'll hear people say, well, brother, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. 
And you know, that sounds super spiritual, but it's 100% religious and it's 100% wrong. You are not still a sinner after you're born again. You've been translated out of the kingdom of sin, out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of the son that he loves. This is now, that's your past identity. This is your now present reality, okay? So I want to show you this in the Bible because you think, well, what's the big deal, Pastor? This is just uh, schematics. Six to one and a half doesn't. No, it isn't. It isn't all. How you see yourself is going to affect how you pray, how you study the Bible, how you talk to people, how you treat people, how you see. What, when you realize what God's done and you're newly born again, recreated in Christ's spirit, the in Christ 5.0 thing I was talking about, you know, you are in Christ. When you realize what God did inside of you, it's going to change how you think about yourself, others, and God. But you're still walking around calling yourself a sinner. Guess what you're going to do? You're going to sin. Amen? You're going to sin a lot more than you would if you, if you believe the other way. So before I get into that, answering that question, I want to just briefly mention uh, how the sin nature was introduced to, uh, to us. Um, in the garden, when Adam and Eve decided to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, they decided to disobey God and obey Satan. And when they did that, they made Satan the God and the ruler, small g, ruler of this world that's found in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Uh, Adam and Eve spiritually died, and they gave up all their authority to the enemy. Remember when the devil came to, to Jesus on the mount, uh, uh, when he was being tempted in the wilderness, and then uh, he said, all this I'll give you if you bow down and worship me. Well, Jesus didn't say, it's not yours to give. He just said, get thee behind me, Satan. It was his to give because he had, he had, taken, he had received it when Adam and Eve gave up their dominion by, by honoring what the devil was saying instead of honoring what God had told them. So, uh, since Adam and Eve, every person to be born after Adam and Eve was born with a sin nature. We see this with Cain right away. He's killing his brother. That wasn't going on before this. Something drastically changed when they disobeyed God. And, but I want you to know that you don't become a sinner when you, when you commit your first sin. So a little boy is running down the road and he disobeys his parents or whatever. It's like, boom, he becomes a sinner right then. No, you're born a sinner. You're born that way. All have sinned fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 5, 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, talking about Adam, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. So when Adam sinned, as if everybody sinned, because sin now entered the human race, it now entered into your bloodstream, entered into your DNA, and uh, it was considered all of us were sinners at that moment. It wasn't based on what you did. It was based on something that Adam did. That's interesting when you think of it in the reverse way of righteousness, isn't it? It isn't based on what you do. It isn't based on what uh, you did. It's based on what Jesus did for you. Amen? It's based on what he did. So that's how we became sinners. We were born that way. But are we still sinners after we are born again? That's the question, okay? Again, I've heard people say, we're just old sinners saved by grace, or I'm just a worm and stuff like that. And I'm telling you, I heard Kenneth Hayes say that, say this, and I think it's funny, but I'd rather hear a donkey hee-hawing and whatever in a tin barn to listen to someone talk like that because they don't know who they are. They don't know who they are. And there's this identity crisis going on in the body of Christ, and they, they think this is spiritual and it's religious to talk this false humility stuff of, of downplaying their value or their worth or their identity when they're sons and daughters of God. Can you imagine a, a king's son walking around the palace talking about himself like that? It, it wouldn't be just the king correcting him. It wouldn't be just the queen correcting them. It'd be the, the guards. It'd be everybody in there. Listen, son, don't you talk like that. You're the son of the king. You need to walk like it. You need to act like it. You need to talk like it. Boy, you don't know who your dad is. 
I'm telling you, you guys need to know who your dad is. The one who created the very DNA in your body is God himself. All right? So failure to understand what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross leaves people in bondage. Are you a sinner or are you a saint? Can someone be a sinner and be saved at the same time? <laughs> it doesn't even make sense, does it? Right? Uh, with this mindset, though, we end up with forgiven sinners instead of redeemed saints. Forgiven sinners versus redeemed saints. We're redeemed saints, okay? Neil Anderson in his book, Victory Over Darkness, uh, it says, telling Christians that they are sinners and then disciplining them if they don't act like saints seems counterproductive at least and inconsistent with the Bible at worst. So you're teaching every Sunday that they're a sinner, but then you use you, you spiritual discipline on, on them, biblical discipline on them for sinning. When you just taught them they're going to sin, but then you discipline them if they don't do the sins that you're comfortable with, and they do sins you're not comfortable with, then you discipline them. There's something messed up with that, guys. And that's, that's, that's mostly church, right? You teach them every day, we're going to sin every day, mind, thought, and deed. But you do one sin that offends the pastor, and you're going to get some discipline. <laughs> oh, God, help us. Uh, I think Neil's being very kind here by using just saying inconsistent and things like that, it's flat out wrong. It's flat out wrong, and it isn't going to lead people into freedom in Christ. Freedom from Christ is not just an emotion. It's, a, it's, a, it's the power of God in you to say no to sin. You have that in you. You have the power of God in you to say no to thoughts, to say no to actions, to say no to uh, all kinds of this power of God in you. So... To tell people they're sinners and then get mad at them or discipline them for sinning is just to me flat out wrong. Wait, you'd be like, way to go. You did what I told you. <laughs> you did what I told you to do. All right? So when you want to know the truth, you got to go to the Bible, not, not just the pastors, the men. You got to go to the Bible. And the Bible says, referring to believers, it uses the term saints, holy ones, or righteous ones, referring to believers more than 240 times. Believers are saints, holy ones, or righteous ones. 240 times. And while unbelievers are called sinners over 330 times in the Bible. Now the Bible says, let every word be established by two or three witnesses. We've got 240 witnesses telling you you're a saint, you're a holy one, you're a righteous one. And 330 witnesses telling you if you're an unbeliever, then you're a sinner. And there's no... There's no examples of you're a sinner and you're a saint at the same time so there's definitely not gonna be two or three witnesses of it amen but we got 240 and 330 the bible is testifying to you that once you are born again the old nature is gone all things have uh, gone it's passed away all things have become new you are now recreated in christ jesus you are now a saint a holy one a righteous one in christ that's who you are Amen? You're not a sinner anymore. You're a saint of God who sometimes sins. And when you sin, you take it to Dad. You take it to the Father. Like, Look what I've done. I've messed this up. Will you help me? He goes, I'll be glad to help you. Let's talk about it. You don't hide under the counter. You don't sh hide from God. You can boldly approach that throne of grace. So you help and mercy in your time of need. Amen? It's a relationship. It's a father-son, father-daughter relationship. Amen? So, guys, don't call yourself sinners. You were a sinner. But now you're a saint. You're saved by grace through faith. That's not, it's part of your old identity. It's not your new or current identity. Amen? So, again, misunderstandings about the scriptures um, cause people to be afraid of calling themselves saints. Well, I can't call myself a saint. I can't do that because they don't understand 1 John. 
And, uh, oh, God, help me. <laughs> All right. First John says, if we say that we have no sin, this is usually the argument for this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word has not his word is not in us or has no place in our hearts. So people use these verses to say, you see, I can't call myself a saint because they think if they call themselves a saint, they're saying that they never sin. Okay? They're, they're making that connection in their mind that they call themselves a saint, that they never sin. Well, I'm not saying that you never sin, but I think Paul is saying to count yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. I'm saying you can kill sin. I'm saying sin is dead. You sin as much as you want to. Now, I'm not telling you to do that, but you, you still are sinning as much as you want to. You okay with that? Everybody right? Are you not? You are sinning. <laughs> wow. I must have hit something there. I don't know. But uh, you, you don't have to. You're choosing to. You're making a choice to. Okay? So people read this and they think that if they call themselves a saint, that, insult, that insinuates they never sin. And uh, here it says, if we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and we are calling God a liar. Well, that isn't what's going on here. First of all, this is talking to people before they are saved. I don't have time to prove that tonight, but you can see it in verses 4 or 5. when He talks about fellowship with us. They don't have fellowship with them. Uh, they're talking to unchristian people how to get saved. And they're talking to people that were Gnostics who didn't believe there was sin, didn't believe uh, that Jesus came in the flesh and things like that. So he's addressing these issues when he's talking to them. And they said, we've never sinned. There's no such thing to them. Sin doesn't even exist. So he's addressing them saying, no, sin does exist. And everyone in the world has sinned. And if you say you haven't sinned, you deceive yourself. Truth's not in you. Right? So it's not, it's not talking to born-again Christians and trying to make them feel beneath their level of spirituality. Okay? The perspective of how you read it and how you see it makes all the difference in how you, in, in how you commune with God. So, we are, not call, we are not to call ourselves sinners. We are to call our unbelievers. We are to call ourselves saints, righteous ones, holy ones. Now, I tell you, it takes zero faith to call yourself a sinner. It takes faith to call yourself righteous. Right? And the righteous shall live by what? Faith, not doubt and unbelief. It doesn't take faith to call you a sinner. It's, just, it's really false humility. So, again, I'm going to go on to the next question now on sin. Is do we still have a sin nature after we are saved? Or do we still have this sin nature after we're born again? I remember not that long ago, I was driving to a Presbyterian meeting, and I was with a pastor friend of mine. We are just driving down the road, and I just asked him this question. He's got his uh, doctorate in uh, uh, divinity and stuff like that. He's got this... Uh, no master's of divinity, maybe he has a doctorate, but anyway, at least a master's level, went through school for extensive training, all these things, and I asked him, do you still have a sin nature? He goes, well, what do you mean? I'm like, he's never heard that question before, I know, but he's like, I'm like, I'm just asking, do you still have a nature? He goes, well, I'm really not sure. I've heard an argument for it this way, I've heard an argument for it that way, and really, I'm not sure. I said, okay, well, let me ask you this question. I said, what died? He goes, what do you mean? I go, well, the Bible says in Colossians 3, 3, for you died, and your life is now hidden with God in Christ. So I asked him, what died? He goes, well, I don't know what died. Because I need to study that out and figure out what that is. So I, I really liked his answer. I thought that was a great answer. But don't you think if something about us died, we should know what that was? Isn't that kind of an important thing to know? I mean, I think so. Uh, death is a big deal. When someone we love or a pet or someone close to us dies, it's a really big deal. There's a, a mourning process we have to go through. There's a, this... this uh, it's, it's a process we have to go through. It's very hard. But one thing that helps us move forward in that is the finality of the death. 
even though that's difficult, the finality, it actually does help you move forward when the finality of it. Much, much better than if you don't know if they're dead or alive. Like for us right now, our dog's missing for several months. We really still don't know if he's dead or alive. And so sometimes we talk about it, it's awkward and hard. We don't know. He could be dead, but he could be been captured by someone to use for hunting dog. We don't really know. But um, we're thinking of the Vietnam vets that were captured over there and didn't get to go home, and they don't know where their bodies are, and their families don't know to this day if some of them are still alive or they're still in a concentration camp or they're being tortured or whatever. They don't know. That not knowing is tormenting. We had this family in our community in Canada growing up, and their son uh, drowned in the river, and his body was never found, just a young kid, like 11 or so. Drowned in the river. They never found his body. And that family would sometimes get cruel, unusually cruel phone calls from people and say, uh, pretend to be in their, their son, or saying, we have your son, and uh, if you give us X number of dollars, we'll give him back. And, and, of course, it wasn't real. Guys, not knowing if something are dead or alive is much, is much worse than, uh, than knowing. When you have the knowing of it, when you put the body of, like, when we buried my dad, he's in the ground, I never had to doubt where he was. I know he's with Jesus. But when you don't know, I mean, it's tormenting. I'm saying the same thing's happening in the church world. When you don't know what died in you, it's tormenting you. It's tormenting to you. It's, it's much easier to know what died. So uh, if something is dead about us, I think we should know what that was, don't you think? <laughs> All right? So uh, in order to answer this question of what, what died, we need to look some more at the word. Again, Colossians 3.3 3 says, For you died... And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Romans 6, 8 says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Galatians 2, 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So guys, something here clearly has died. But what was it? What was it? Do you guys know that uh, recently discoveries uh, through research and studies have found out that who one of the people that died beside the Apostle Paul on the cross, they actually figured out who one of the people were that died beside, sorry, who died beside Jesus on the cross. They actually found out who one of those people were, and it was the Apostle Paul's father. Have you guys heard this before? Well, Paul himself said that his old man was crucified with Christ. You get it? It's a joke. <laughs> His old man was crucified with Christ, so he's, it's not, all right, well, it was, I had a little delivery problem there, but it was actually this pretty funny joke. I heard a guy say, <laughs> say that, but uh, he is not talking about his dad. He's not talking about your dad. He's not talking about anybody else's dad, amen? But he's talking about the old man. In, in Romans 6, 6, it says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Christ, <coughs> excuse me, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So what Paul was talking about, again, not your dad or his dad, but this verse, what it does say is that your old man died, and because of that death, you no longer have to sin. Do you see that? It's still on there, right? All right, your old man died, so the part of us that died previously caused us to be slaves of sin. So that's a major key to help figure out what died right here. It's a major key. So let me ask you this. What made us slaves to sin? Well, Romans 5, 19, you don't have to put this one up. It's just a partial verse reference here. It says, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. 
Romans 17, 14 says, we were sold as slaves to sin. So you see, we became sinners by one man's disobedience. When Adam sinned, the entire human race was sold as slaves to sin. That's where we were sold, bondage to sin, we became a sin nature. We were sinners from the time you were born. Uh, when Adam died spiritually, we all died spiritually, and our nature changed. We now had a sinful nature, or a demonic nature, or a nature that's influenced by the devil. Okay? So in order for us to be truly free from sin, our nature would have to change, wouldn't it? Just think, talking logically, not trying to trick anybody here. Just saying, if you are really be free from sin, something about your nature would have to change. We didn't just receive a new way to receive forgiveness by Jesus dying on the cross. They had forgiveness of sins in the Old Testament. They had sacrifices of bulls and goats and the blood of animals and lambs. And uh, now Jesus died for us. This isn't just to cover up or to, to forgive our sins. It was something much more than this than he did. So uh, if, if only that's all he did, we'd be the same. Our nature would still be the same. We just have a new way to receive forgiveness. So forgiveness without power leaves us in the same place as before, stuck in sin. They'd still be stuck in sin. They just had new ways to get forgiveness. So the root cause of our sin was our nature. It's the wiring of our hearts. Okay, so it's the nature of a dog to bark. Uh, that's why I had to buy a shock collar for mine to try to get that thing to stop barking so much. Now, it was just a vibration for the, all the dog lovers. It wasn't really a shock. It was a vibration, but anyway, but it did help. It was quite funny to see him jump <laughs> and get startled sometimes. But the nature of a horse is to jump and to run and you know to eat. The nature of a tree is to grow and produce fruit. No one has to teach a dog, a horse, a tree to do these things. They're just they're wired that way to do these things. And when you were born, you were wired to sin. No one had to teach you how to sin. No one had to teach a child how to lie, how to uh, disobey their parents, how to be selfish or greedy. You were just born with that nature in you. So in order for us to change, something would have to be done with our nature. Or there really wouldn't be a change. It'd just, again, be a new way to receive forgiveness. You guys follow me? Am I going too fast? <laughs> I hope not. I'll try to slow down if I am. So this doesn't mean that we are as evil as the devil when it says a, we have a, a satanic nature or demonic nature or evil nature, but it does mean we are being influenced by him, okay? So um, let me scroll down here. Now, many of you have heard that once you're born again, you, you now have two natures. You probably heard this growing up in church. You have two natures. You have uh, a sin nature and you have a divine nature. You probably heard this illustration because it's the only one I've ever heard. Maybe there's more, but they use this. They use this illustration of two dogs, okay? It's called dual nature theology, which I to totally do not believe in. Jesus said a house divided uh, will not stand. So I don't believe this, but this is what they teach. Um, two dogs are fighting. There's a white dog and there's a black dog. The white dog represents our new divine nature, and the black dog represents the sin nature. You guys ever hear this before? Okay, I th I, it's pretty common. All right, then the question is asked, which dog wins the fight? And the, que the answer is the one you feed the most, okay? Now, that sounds really spiritual, and it sounds really good, but the problem is the black dog's dead, right? The black dog's dead. The black dog shouldn't be winning any fights. The white dog, whether you feed it once a week, is still going to be the dead dog, right? Okay? Jesus, again, himself said, a house divided will not stand. So this teaching, this dual nature theology teaching, came from man's reasoning of why people still sin after they're born again. So they, they made this up. They manufactured this. It's totally created out of their imagination and speculation. It's not founded in Scripture. Uh, it, it's actually the opposite message 
Paul's teaching the exact opposite message of this that they're teaching to many churches. That they don't teach dual nature. They said, no, the old man's dead. It's gone. It's buried. Now you've got a new man. And that new man is Christ on the inside of you. Okay? So these guys made up this dual nature theology. And I'm telling you, this to me has caused more spiritual bondage than probably any other mainline, quote unquote, Christian theology in the Bible. If you don't know what died, how are you going to overcome sin? If you think like, like Paul had this sin problem, how are you going to overcome sin? If you think you're still a sinner, how are you going to overcome sin? If you think you still have a sin nature, how are you going to overcome sin? And that's, that's, that's basic Christianity, overcoming sin. That's not even walking in the victorious, victorious life of walking in signs, wonders, and miracles, and casting out demons, and, and all this kind of fun stuff we get to do. That's just the basic overcoming sin. He did that. He could have done it by sneezing. It's <laughs> a boom, the power of God. So... We need to know what died, amen? So let's look at this again. Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we would no longer be slaves of sin. You are not a slave to sin anymore, praise God. If you're in Christ, you're not a slave. So that old nature was our sin nature. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or creation Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You heard the term passed away is the same term when somebody dies, right? You hear that so-and-so passed away, they died. The old things, they died, okay? Colossians 2.11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. I want to say something disgusting just for fun. But anyway, you don't need to keep the foreskin, praise God, after the circumcision. That sin nature has been cut away with. I want, I'm doing it on purpose so you'll remember this. It's been cut away with. It's okay to throw it away and bury it and get rid of it. Jesus Christ cut it off for you, the sin nature off you. You don't need to keep it or honor it or think you got two, two natures going on. You have one nature. You now have the divine nature of Christ. Amen? Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Dave Mark was here. He would have laughed at that for sure. <laughs> right, Susie, <laughs> from Bible study. <laughs> he would have laughed at that. All right. Uh, Galatians 5.24 It says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have, been crucif- have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. The King James Version says passions and lusts. So these verses say our sinful nature passed away. It says it was circumcised. It said it was crucified. It's dead. It's no longer alive. Guys, this is so important to know. If you're going to grow closer to Christ, you have to know you're not approaching him with this sin nature. You're not approaching him with this evil, corrupted nature. You've now been given the nature of God on the inside of you. And you don't figure it out by your feelings. You don't figure this out through your emotions. You have to look into the mirror of the word of God, and you can see your spirit through that mirror. If this is who God says I am, then that's who I am. Your emotions will tell you, will take you all over the place. And they're fickle, they'll change, they're pointing to something, you can't always figure it out. But when you look at the Word, it's like your anchor of your soul. And this is who God says you are now. Not when you die and get to heaven, okay? So think about this, uh, Titus 2, 11 and 12 teaches us that the grace of God enables us, teaches and trains us to live godly and holy lives. It teaches us to live uh, sensible, righteously, and godly lives in this present age. Now, how could you do that? if you still had this in nature. 
If your nature is still wired to sin, how could you, how could you live sensibly, righteously, godly uh, by the grace of God if you still had this other nature? But you don't. He cut that away. He circumcised that away. And now you have the nature and DNA of God on the inside of you. Amen? I'm thankful for that. So what the, now, um, what the law was powerless to do, God did. The law couldn't change your heart. The law was never designed to change your heart. The law was des designed to expose your heart. To expose your heart that you have, you have a sin nature. It started at the fall. And uh, it's it carried through all the way until you receive Christ. And when you receive Christ, that's taken away. So first, 2 Peter 1.4 says, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You now have been given the divine nature. Praise God. You have a heavenly nature. You have the nature of Jesus in you, the nature of the Holy Spirit in you, the nature of the Father in you, in you, okay? Now, if you're wondering, well, why do I still sin sometimes? Because Romans 12.2 needs to go into effect, is be transformed by renewing your mind. Then you'll experience the, the transformation in life that he desires. In the good, pleasing, perfect will of God, you'll be able to know it, okay? So what died? Your old man. Your old simple nature died, and because it died, we no longer we are no longer slaves of sin, and people do not have uh, people that do not know their sin nature is dead, or, or or alive are stuck in torment. They're just stuck there, just like the people not knowing if their family members are alive or dead, in the, in um, Vietnam. They're stuck in lies. They're stuck in bondage. They're stuck in sin, and they're not knowing what's dead or alive is is tormenting. I'm telling you, that nature is dead. It's time for you to have a funeral service. It's time for you to bury that stinking, rotten corpse that's stinking up your house, that's stinking up your life, and bury that thing. It is dead. It's over. Bury the thing in Jesus' name. In faith, it's dead. And Paul himself said, count yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. So Colossians 2.12 says, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were buried with him. Talking about the old man was buried with him, and you were resurrected to him in a newness of life, the life of Christ, okay? In uh, Romans 6, 14, this is my last verse. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin is not your master, Sin will not have dominion over you. You are to have dominion over sin because you are not under the law. You're now under grace. It's the enabling power of God, the enabling power of the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells in you to say no to ungodly things and say yes to Holy Ghost spiritual things, good things. You have that power on the inside of you now, not when you die and go to heaven. It's right now. Amen? Guys, I'm telling you, I wish someone would have told me this growing up. I can't tell you how tormented I was and how frustrated I was. Now I frustrated the grace of God. Uh, I didn't know. My denomination taught and believed that you could lose your salvation. Their main teaching was uh, Christian perfectionism. Be holy as he is holy. Be perfect as he is perfect. And, uh, and I had, that just tormented me. I was like trying harder and trying harder and trying harder to try to please God. I didn't know how God felt about me. I didn't know if God loved me. I didn't know if I was even saved. I didn't know if I was a sinner or a saint. I didn't know if I could ever overcome sin or temptation. I, didn't know, I don't know what I knew. 
I didn't know much of anything, and I was in Bible college. Praise God. <laughs> uh, I was studying, but I didn't know. And uh, in my environment, because you had to be perfect, I had to wear this mask and pretend like everything's okay. I couldn't be vulnerable to any of the things I struggled with or emotions I battled or things was going on with me because it wasn't a safe place to confess those things. Because if you did, if it was something serious enough to offend the pastor or whatever, you'd be kicked to the curb. And they'd, uh, they'd, uh, they'd act like they didn't even know you. Man, you wouldn't even find that in a bar. You wouldn't even find that in a club or something or any kind of community group. But in the church, sometimes they can really shoot the wounded. So I didn't know these things. And me not knowing, it left a real state of frustration and confusion for me. I remember going to my dad one time. I was so frustrated. I didn't even know why. I remember one day I killed like a couple of flies with one swat. It wasn't good as Mickey Mouse who had like, I don't know, seven or eight or whatever he had with one fly swatter swing. But I got a couple and I was pretty happy. And I don't know, I was some, so fresh in, inside that that felt good for me. And it wasn't until years later I realized what I was doing. I was frustrating the grace of God. Do you guys know you can frustrate the grace of God? When you try to earn something that's already been paid for, paid for, it's frustrating the grace of God. If you try to pay your parents back for a Christmas present they gave you, you're going to frustrate your parents. Gosh, I want you to have this, son. Why you don't give me your, put that wallet back in your pocket? That's offensive to me. And he says, son, I've already paid for this, Ryan. Why are you trying to earn something that I already paid for? But if someone doesn't tell you and you don't know, you could be like that hamster running that wheel, trying harder and harder and harder to perform better and better and better to try to make God love you. And all the while, he's absolutely already adores you and loves you right now. So I was frustrated in the grace of God, and I was very frustrated. Um, I was scared, nervous. Uh, I was, what do you think this did? Excuse me, I'll go back. What do you think this did in my relationship with God? I was scared. I was nervous. I was distant. I tried to hide my struggles from him like he didn't know it. You know, I don't want to let God know like he didn't know. And I wanted, sometimes I just wanted to give up. Just wanted to quit. Like, I can't do this. I just can't. There's no way I can ever satisfy God if this is all the things he demands of me. And you know what? That is what the law is supposed to do. It's supposed to take you to the end of yourself the end of your rope. And at the end of my rope, I found Jesus, the real Jesus, not the law, not religion, what my dad's religion, not my grandfather's religion or anything. And they're good, godly men and everything. But I, I needed to know God for myself. And so uh, over time, the grace of God really changed my life. I'll tell you a few different experiences for me. Uh, a prophecy in 1995 about how I have the gift of healing absolutely changed my life. Just changed my life. Put my life on a whole other course. 1996, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in college, in a college that didn't promote these things, absolutely changed my life, changed the whole co course of my life. Thank God. Thank God. Um, anyway, uh, I can't go on to that because someone might see this, and I don't want to offend my family back home, but thank God. <laughs> uh, 2005, experience in Roanoke at the church there, people being loving and showing grace. You know, religion doesn't sh often show grace. They're not gracious. They're, they can be very mean and nasty people. And, uh, but we got in this church, and they were gracious and kind and loving to us. And I sometimes felt so undeserving of it because I was still under the whole unworthy thing. And it, it changed my life. 2008, going to Brazil, definitely changed my life. Just laying there in God's presence some days, soaking in his worship for hours and hours and hours, just changed my life. And God took things out of me and put things in me that were good. Uh, beliefs that I had, he took out of me. Um, Reading Destined to Rain by Joseph Prince absolutely changed my life. 
Uh, if you haven't read that book, I mean, it, just something about that book, it made things click in my mind where I connected the dots of things I hadn't quite connected yet. And Debbie Edwards is the one that gave me that book, said, you need to read this. And man, she was a million time percent right. I did need to read that. And I read it and I read it and I devoured it. And my dad read it six or seven times and he cried and he loved it. Because when you hear the truth, guys, your soul will recognize it. When you hear the truth, your, your hungry, desperate, crying heart, it will recognize you're hearing the truth. I'm telling you, you heard the truth tonight. You've heard the truth. You're not a sinner. There's not a sin problem you can't overcome today. And Paul didn't have a sin problem he couldn't overcome. He did have one when he was introduced to the law, but he didn't have one after he received Christ. And he doesn't have two natures. So uh, all these things. Oh, yeah, in 2011, I also received deliverance from uh, demonic spirits. And that absolutely changed my life as well. You might think that's weird, but I'm just telling you, I did. And I needed it. Praise God. And uh, I, was, I was a different person. And that's just the reality of, of me. I'm just being honest with you. All those things led me to today to be able to stand up here and tell you guys, guys, sin is dead. Paul said sin's dead. Count yourself dead, the old man dead to sin, and your new resurrected man who's resurrected in Christ, alive through Christ. Amen. So um, tonight, maybe, uh, I don't know if you're convinced or not, maybe even you grew up under these things and you still are convinced that these other guys you heard is true, but please don't be like Oneida and just live out in that jungle um, in a place of despair, believing these lies. He received the pamphlets, he received the flyers, he received the newspaper, every kind of logic and reasoning he could receive, he received it all. But he still believed a lie. And he, his life, imagine how different it would have been if he would have just believed the first time he heard it. The first report that the war was over, he could have left and went home to his family. But instead, he lived in bondage almost 30 years, almost 30 years, 29 plus years in bondage because he believed a lie. And guys, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. So don't be like Anita. Tonight, you've heard the word of truth. I know if your spirit is bearing witness to what I'm telling you. I'm telling you, I just know that I know that I know. I'm telling you the way, the truth, and the life to come to the Father is through Jesus, and no man can get there except through him, and he is the answer to the problem of your heart. But if you still believe you have to earn something, if you still have to do this to have him love you, you still believe that you can't overcome sin, you still believe you have these two natures, you still believe you're a sinner, it's going to be really difficult for God to really speak to you as a son or a daughter, when you're believing all these lies that separate you from the reality of who he really is and who he is to you. So tonight, guys, I want to just, uh, I want to, for activation, I just want to break some things off. If you guys ever believe these lies, I want to renounce them. So maybe you've never, I hope you've never believed them. I hope you, I hope you were taught and trained right from a young kid. I really do, because you'll walk in freedom and you'll, you'll live in so much less guilt condemnation is shame than I definitely did. I, I, I definitely battled that for a long, long time. But if you believe the, one of these lies, I want to pray for you tonight. You don't have to stand up. I don't need to lay hands like you pray for you there. But you, if you ever believe one of these lies and you have never renounced it, I want to pray for you. And you can pray this with me. But that Paul couldn't overcome sin, so how can I overcome sin? If you believe that lie, I want to pray for you. If you believe you're still a sinner, I want to pray for you. Because you're not. Amen. You don't become a sinner when you sin. You became a sinner when Adam sinned. You don't become righteous when you stop sinning. You become righteous when Jesus comes into your life and gives you the gift of righteousness. And then that gift of righteousness enables you by the power of the Holy Spirit to stop sinning. 
All right. And if you believe you still have a sin nature, I want to pray for you for that too. So if you are all three of these or one of these, uh, you can just repeat this prayer after me in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud. But you can if you want to. But some of you might need to. Some of you believe this for 20, 30 years. I'm telling you, you could feel like this chains of religion coming off of you and you can walk in newness of freedom of life. I'm telling you, our county needs to hear this message. Our region needs to hear this message because the, every week they go to church and they're beaten with the book. They're beaten with the rod. They're beaten with the word. And they're not loved like the good shepherd with the loving word of God that's empowering them to, to live a, a life of victory. So if you, if you fall in one of these three categories, I want you to pray this with me. I renounce the lie that Paul had a sin problem that he could not overcome. And therefore, I cannot overcome sin. I renounce this lie. I renounce the lie that I am still a sinner. And I renounce the lie that I, am st I still have a sin nature. I choose to agree with the word of God. And I declare that sin shall not have dominion over me. Come on, somebody. And say that from your inner man. For I'm not under the law, but under grace. I am the righteous of God through Christ. Through Christ I've been made holy, pure, and righteous. I praise you, God, that my old nature has passed away. And everything about my new nature is brand new in you. I am now a partaker of the divine nature. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you guys know the verse that says, you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I'm telling you tonight, I told you the truth. And if you believe it, you are going to experience new levels of freedom in your life. God doesn't have you held out here. Like, stay back here. You can't come close. No, his arms are like this. Come close, kids. You can boldly approach the throne of grace. Amen? You can boldly approach that throne. So you, I, I believe you can actually get physically sick from believing these lies and other lies because it generates stress and guilt and condemnation and shame, and you can get ulcers. You can get whatever different sicknesses and stuff off off of stress and things, and knowing the truth brings freedom not just to your mind, will, and emotions, but to your body. Amen? You go through life and knowing that God's not angry with you, that's, that's a good thing.